should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because, hey, let's be honest, we're just doing this for the retweets. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, who thinks that 420 should be, like, a holiday or something, man. <laughs> Benedict, what's your favorite flavored water? Oh, uh, can I say water-flavored water? <laughs> I, like, um... <laughs> I don't know, like as in like a like a sparkling. You know, water sometimes you, yeah, like a, no, any kind. You know, you put like a, a slice of lemon in some oh, water or some yeah. lime. I like, a, or maybe you get the spa water with the cucumber you know, and stuff. I, I in like it. a lime water of those. I think. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say, can I say vitamin water? Is that water <laughs> lemon flavored vitamin water? <laughs> Uh, you, you can say brand names, Ben. Okay, you can this, say this brand- is not the BBC. Other <laughs> other brands are available. Yes. No, I know. Like a lime, lime wedge water is probably my my go to. What about mm. you? Mm, I recently discovered uh, there's this uh, like store brand here in St. Louis of uh, like lightly carbonated flavored waters, okay. and uh, the kiwi one. Oh, interesting! It got me. It got me. It was just it's lightly flavored, lightly okay. a hint. It's not like sugar a water, hint, like some a of those hint things of are. Kiwi. Mm, exactly exactly and it it, it took me for a i presume we mean the fruit not the nationality (laughs) it's like this tastes like if you you licked a new zealander this is what it would taste like (laughs) exactly exactly that's the situation uh but benedict you know why we're here i know why we're here does anybody else know why we're here no nobody else knows why we're doing this Does anybody really know what time it is? Uh, This is the show where we go deep. Some might say deep, deep, deep. Some might. To plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative nonfiction. And in between, we take a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict, start us off. Do you have a hot take for us this week? I do, but give me a second. I was just going to say, I'm not sure it's even possible to go deep, deep, deep on this chapter. Because it's so shallow. (laughs) If we dive too deep, we might smack our heads open. This is also true. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, this is the shallow end of the pool. Yeah. My my hot take is, again, taken from my own life, which is that it is stupid to fly across the Atlantic two times or th- yeah, three times in a, in a week. week. Yeah. In a week yeah, for that's you. Yeah, extremely dumb and nobody should do it. It will ruin Why your life. Why didn't you just stay yeah. and have your wife meet you there? Because I'm an idiot who shouldn't <laughs> be allowed to plan things. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah maybe so that's why so don't do that that's my hot take don't don't fly across the atlantic don't do like three seven hour flights you're gonna spend more time on planes than on vacation that is true that is true but that's why we're recording this episode early because i am going on vacation so yes 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 i should mention at the outset uh that we are recording this a week ahead of time because of benedict's vacation Mm -hmm. this month was messed up for both of us with all the vacation patron only is going to be late too and that's also my fault it's going to be slightly late but we are going to be recording a tidbit we are going to be recording a tidbit at the end of this episode so there will be a little something to tide you over all right that's very kind of us 
Yes. <laughs> I didn't even tell no, you we were doing that until just now. No, you have to ambush me when I'm on the phone. I was going to spring yeah, it on yeah, you exactly. at the end. All right. um, what's your hot take? Let me let me hear it. My hot take, Benedict, is fuck the libs of TikTok. Oh lady. God, yeah. That's all I have to say about yep. that. For I have zero sympathy. Seems like you're saying more about it, despite yeah, saying that's yeah, all no. I have to say about it. I have that's all I have to say about it, except for all that I have to say about it. <laughs> I have zero sympathy for people who want to make my existence as a fucking queer person mm-hmm. illegal. Zero sympathy. Why the fuck should I? Yep. Yes, you should be hounded to the ends of the fucking earth yeah. and lose your goddamn job if you're a piece of that, shit like that. That, but also like the right to on anonymity for like a like a no such thing. An, an account with like tens of thousands of followers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. That engages in the most toxic demonization of people for existing as queer folk. Yeah. That's what it fucking does. If you're, people who just, if you're, th- this, this fucking discourse that sprung up around this today of, oh, she just reposts content from bullshit. That's what journalists do also. Anybody yeah. who has ever looked at that fucking account knows that that is not what's happening. Yeah. And plenty of people on Twitter today... Plenty of great journalists who took all the screenshots before she fucking hit all this stuff took the time to show, no, this lady's out here, you know, trying to demonize just people for existing mm-hmm. as gay. Yeah. People on Twitter saying, hey, I'm a gay person and I'm also a teacher. We're not here going after your kids. They're groomers. Yeah. Fuck them. Fuck that person. Fuck this lady. She can go fuck herself. I don't give a shit. Um, Alex, a Alex Perrine did a good piece in his um, Substack that was uh, about it and like more about the ethics of it and like and what the, the new right means when they try and do this like flood the zone. Um, Is it related to that Vanity Fair piece? No, I don't think so. Or maybe I, I don't think so. But it, like it's just like the, the flood the zone stuff of like mm-hmm. creating such a wall of bad faith and bullshit that like people yeah. just get exhausted and like don't even know what is like what journalism is anymore. I mean, I mean, we've sort of demonstrated on our show here with all the people we've covered, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it is about flooding the zone with bullshit, because none of the, what we've read has ever been journalism, we, no. even though these people purport to be that, yeah. right? None of these people are fucking journalists. No, they're making shit up. They're propagandists. Yeah. That's it. Pure and simple. It's just propaganda. Mm-hmm. But Benedict, why don't we move on? Sure. What? is on your bookshelf this bookshelf week. Bookshelf slash streaming library this week, because I'm, uh, mm. I'm doing you. I'm like, I've, I've run out of books. Um, despite Benedict, my... you can't fit a streaming on a bookshelf. That's true. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um, so this week, uh, just finished, I won't do any spoilers, but uh, Severance on Apple TV. Um, it is about the uh, a, a group of workers that basically when they get to work their their consciousness is severed so they have a work persona and a uh, outside of work persona and the two never like you can't remember what happens to the other one when is you this are. the ben stiller thing it is ben stiller and it shocks me okay. every time because it is not funny <laughs> at all. like it's a little bit funny like there are moments of humor but it is yeah. definitely not a funny concept um mm-hmm. and, and and like at the end you're like oh my god and then it's like directed by ben stiller and you're like what the fuck <laughs> every time um yeah more Multi-talented people should be outlawed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they should have to pay extra taxes or something for every different thing that they do. Um, but it's really good. It's um, again Adam Scott, which uh, acting in a like non-funny thing, um, but being very, very good in it. And just it, it's one of those things where like the concept is really cool, but they also don't fuck up the concept, which is very easy nice. to do. Um, Benedict, Benedict, you know what I have to say about that? Nice, um, nice. So- yeah, very good. 
but yeah it's it's really good it's uh, and like it, it it touches on a lot of things it touches on like workers rights it touches on like um memories it touches on um like sci- it's like sci-fi as well but also like set in a hyper like capitalist corporation it's just very interesting um and like every time i'm like every time in the series i was like hey what about this they like the next scene they're like <laughs> you've probably been thinking about this reading your yeah, mind exactly, yeah literally yeah exactly so that's mine anyway severance on apple plus the um they just finished the first season and they just renewed it for a second season too so it should be should be good we should be all set for the next season what's your, cool what's beans. your bookshelf well, Benedict, uh, you know about this. I sent you a picture of it. I put it out yeah, on Twitter, yeah. but I received my copy of Bayou of Pigs by it's Stuart it's Bell. It's such an enviable title. I love oh, that. God, it is. Nobody will ever come close to something that good again. It's just it's just not possible. Uh, but uh, I have read through now, I think, the first three or four chapters because they're, you know, they're not a terribly uh, long page count. And it is, it's, I'm excited to, I'm going to read it on the plane tomorrow when I'm flying out. So I'm excited to get through it. But I would like to read for you. The first paragraph of chapter three, which I think is quite, quite good. Mike Perdue knew that if he was going to stage a coup d'etat, he was going to need money, mercenaries, guns, and a contract. (laughs) He felt he had at least made a start on the last item on the list, but he had work to do. Getting money and guns was not going to be that difficult, but needed help finding manpower. So he turned to a charismatic Louisiana native he had met a few years earlier, the former Imperial Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. David Duke? I'm so excited to read that. Yes, it's David Duke. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to get through that whole book. Ah! It'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. But Benedict, why don't we get into housekeeping? First off, remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. All of you people out there, remember to go and do that. Uh, We like stars. Um, Benedict eats them. It's a whole thing. He's related to a video game character. It's really strange. Um, I do look a bit like a turtle sometimes. (laughs) At my worst. Updates uh, on a past episode, I said that Diamond and Silk got their star start as callers to the Sean Hannity mm. show, and, and I as said, it turns out, think, did they? To which I you may said, be wrong yes. and a racist. Oh, cool! Because I have vivid memories of the callers to the Sean Hannity show, who were two African American women who. Hannity bought their grandson or something of Xbox or something. I thought it was Diamond and Silk, and I thought I remembered hearing somewhere that that was Diamond and Silk, and someone told me, and I went and looked into it. I can find nothing to support my claim on that issue. So I want to issue a retraction. Yeah, I want to issue a retraction at that point here. Mistakes were made. (laughs) (laughs) Until such a point that someone can provide me with any sort of information on that. Yeah, people message yeah. me. Do people I just never me. make mistakes, or like just people not care enough to, to message uh, me? People don't care about the things you <laughs> say. <laughs> I don't think you make any hard enough claims. That's true. To be I'm very, I'm very wishy washy. <laughs> You're squishy. You're very squishy on the issues. Uh, I should second. run for office, maybe. <laughs> second, we have a one dollar patron level now. Damn. Ooh, ooh. Do people get I anything taken... for that, or just us being like, hey, thanks? <laughs> I haven't taken the time to go in and change all the other levels like I keep saying I'm going to do, but for those people who want the patron-only bonus episodes, all that content, um, you can go get it now, and I won't have to read your names at the end of the show. So all you get for that, basically, is the patron-only bonus content, um, but, uh, you know, it's cool. Yeah. You, you get to have that. That'll be good. It'll, it'll, it'll uh, 
it'll be fun. It's worth you, it. You There's hours it. and hours of our shit there. There's hours of our lives poured into that. And if you don't think that's <laughs> worth $1 a month, then you're part of the capitalist problem, I buddy. I think it's worth it. I don't have a problem with it. But yes, uh, you know, I want more people to be able to have access Me to too. all of our patron-only bonus stuff. We've done patron-only <laughs> book reviews We've now. We've said some racy shit on those episodes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Not your grandmother's book club. After, After dark. dark. <laughs> But that's all available for you now. And like I've always said, uh, it's only the book episodes that we actually charge patrons for. So typically only two times a month. So it'd be $2 a month or on those weird months where it comes up three times in a month just because the way that the schedule works, three. But that's there for you now. And I don't hold it against any of our current patrons. If you want to lower down to that $1 level, uh, it's really, you know, we've said it many times. Benedict and I just basically do this as a hobby. Uh, we're not, uh, it's not like we're living off of Kevin doesn't actually money. even give me the money. I don't see any of this no, of money. Course it goes not. into Kevin's account. Edit a fucking episode. Maybe you'll can- try to do an episode <laughs> without me, bitch. See how far you get. There have been some episodes. Well, oh, never mind. Uh, other one, other one, but other update. Um, I realized as I was editing, uh, the last episode that I forgot to do my hot take that I said I had reserved for later in the episode. Oh, almost (laughs) like you didn't have one prepared. I totally did Uh though. I totally did. I just, I looked, it's in my notes Mm -hmm. that I had written up Mm -hmm. for that episode Mm -hmm. and I just somehow skipped over Uh it. Anyway, my hot take was basically just going to be, it's white supremacy all the way down. Oh. Because as I was looking at all this. That's the theme of every episode. No, but I've been looking into this, you know, what I'm calling our Lunatic Fringe series. Mm. That's the name I've given it uh, for, you know, weeks, if not months now. Yeah, months, yeah, for sure. Um, and as I've done so, I've just started to realize, holy shit, it's, it's just white supremacy. Every fucking time. It's all white supremacy. All of these people have connections to hardcore white supremacists. Mm-hmm. This libertarian movement, uh, and I wouldn't even say just the libertarian movement, because we're going to be talking about more than that, but what I would say is the base of the Republican Party, the wackadoo lunatic fringe that now controls them, it's always white supremacy. Mm-hmm. It always comes back to white supremacy in, like deeply provable ways yeah. which is it's not just not like what I think was in the same expect. room as lewis farrakhan one time no it's like, no like was on a podcast done by a nazi right yeah. or was in introduced ri- by richard yeah. spencer at a white supremacist club yep. like that kind of shit right so that was gonna be it and i just completely forgot to do it uh, at that point when we got interesting. but anyways interesting how that happens that's completely out of context now and i don't know why you even said it yeah. Well, you know. Anyways, Benedict, why don't we... Hat tip, rumble, cut eight, go. All right. Go! Because it's time to get into this week's episode. But first, as we always do, because this is a book episode, Mm. I do have a clip for us from Mark Levin. (laughs) Uh, And this one, this clip we have today, I have selected one clip. I'm not giving you a choice this time. Uh, This is related to the content we're going to be talking about. It's actually related to this book. This came out shortly after... Uh, Levin's book was released, and of course, as we all know, it was pointed out fairly quickly by some great journalists out there that he thought the Frankfurt School was the Franklin School. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Hoadley Brill, who is a uh, CUNY, City University of New York, uh, grad student, uh, I think he was one of the people who pointed it out first at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, he so he's who put this video up on YouTube, and he did a little bit of he, he had a little fun with it, like he played with Levin with this video, so you'll hear some like, you know, echo and stuff going on, repeating and whatnot, and that's just him, you know, he, he made this video making fun of Levin, which I have nothing against, but this was Levin's response to people pointing out when he 
made obvious errors that mm. no human being should make. Is a putrid little comrade over at something called Salon. Salon's been around a while. It's been As if you don't know what it leftists. is. I would argue it's part of the whole American Marxist movement. That's just my opinion. Mm. Okay, but your opinion is based off of not knowing anything. Yeah. <laughs> and he's inquiring, why did Mark Levin use the word Franklin School? Mm. From the Franklin School of Marxism? Mm -hmm. um, called the Franklin School that comes out of Berlin. From the Franklin School of Marxism? So this is where... Yeah. Why did I get Mark Levin bit. use the word Franklin School rather than... From the Franklin School of Marxism? Rather than the... Um... What is it? Further school. Further school. The Franklin School. <laughs> said what? Rather than the Frankfurt School. <laughs> I've talked about Herbert Marcuse many times. Uh -huh. Yeah, that is relevant. And in the book I called it, he came from the Franklin School. Mm -hmm. It's the Frankfurt School. Yes. We know. I think once or twice on TV I referenced as the Franklin School. I don't know why. It's stuck in my head. Ben Franklin, Franklin, whatever it was. Excuse me? What, what? connection does Ben Franklin have ben Franklin, to the, the famous, famous German Marxist? Like. <laughs> no connection whatsoever. But yeah, yeah, sure. That, that makes Carry sense, on. Mark. Cut out. Go. So several weeks ago, I mentioned to the publisher, we need to correct that. Mm -hmm. The book is 85,000 or so words long. Mm. There's end notes. To the writings of Herbert Marcuse. Which you obviously didn't book, read. Yeah, if you read them, you wouldn't call it the Frankfurt School. School. The Frankfurt School. So this guy says, I've committed an act of fraud, Mr. Producer. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. I'll deal with him later. Oh, okay. That's the best they can do? No, there's a lot no. more. No. <laughs> we're, we're doing the best we can do. Yeah, there's a lot. Damn it, Benedict, you stole what I was going to say. <laughs> That's the best attack you can launch? No, that's just a very obvious and dumb mistake. It's not an attack at all. It is. In fact, it's the opposite. What? In a strange way, it's a pat on the back. We looked and we looked. Trust me, we're at Salon. <laughs> Commie bastards. Yeah, yeah, we're at Salon. We're looking and we're looking and we're looking. Wait, he said Franklin, not Frankfurt. Franklin, not Frankfurt. <laughs> Are you so Benedict? That's the best attack. Yeah, the best attack that Salon could do was point out that this man uh, claiming he has expertise in many live appearances and in a 85,000 page book, which uh, was supposed to have been looked over by an editor, yep. got the name of his main boogeyman wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the best attack. The best that is, by the way, not. Uh, the best attack that anyone could do. You could just Google this book, uh, Jacobin Magazine, which I don't particularly love. You know, I, I'm not a Marxist. They uh, tend to actually be uh, sometimes some actual Marxist people who have Marxist leanings. Mm -hmm. um, they did a great review of this book. <laughs> Pointed out a good number of the actual flaws uh, in this book. But those commies over at Salon, I guess that's the best they could do. Yeah, he should try reading Jacobin if he thinks that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> if he thinks Salon or commies... Yeah. Someone should show him Jacobin and just watch his head. No, in he has one of those filters that won't allow his computer to show Jacobin. <laughs> just because he doesn't want to have that uh, heart attack that would come along if he actually accidentally ever clicked on a link there. 
But Benedict, today we continue our book review mm -hmm. of American Marxism by Mark Levin, whose level of spice is only exceeded by his blandness. Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read the second half of chapter three, in which Mark Levin does his best impression of a college student while railing about college students. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. Yep. And we'll explain what we mean as we go along, but... Everyone who's ever gone to college uh, has written papers like where, this. Yeah, you, you just find articles that might have something to do with your topic and do a control F for oh, quotes like, that no, fit what, the need what, what, you want my, to fill. My move was like, okay, this is the reading list, which is the shortest <laughs> paper on the reading list. 12 pages. I can get away with reading six of those pages. That's what yeah, this is. That's what he did. Yep. That's what he did, because he did not read any of these no. things that he is citing here. And again, it is mostly block quotes from other people who are much more well-written than Mark Levin, interspersed with his sarcastic commentary. Yeah. 85, it's basically his radio is. show, essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a version of it, yeah, certainly. It's 85,000 words, of which 45,000 <laughs> are other people's. It just needs more breathy pauses. Yeah. That's all it needs. And more more hat tips and, and cuts. <laughs> more cut eights. Yeah. It needs more cut yeah. eights. Don't we all? <laughs> Mr. Producer. Uh, but this part of the chapter, where we left off last time, this part begins, quote, The new left generally avoided traditional forms of political organization in favor of strategies of mass protest, direct actions, and civil disobedience. The movement was greatly influenced by a German-born Marxist. Herbert Marcuse. Was he born in Franklin, Germany? I think he was born in Berlin, oh, okay. uh, which is where he said the Frankfurt School was uh, started, the if you didn't notice there in one of those clips that was played. <laughs> he said the Frankfurt School was started in Berlin. Maybe that's why he calls it the Franklin School, because he thinks it's a mix of Frankfurt and Berlin. <laughs> so it's you a portmanteau. That would actually make sense. That would actually make sense. Who expectedly was a fierce anti-capitalist. Also, unsurprisingly, and, and here's the thing, uh, he said Marcuse, I have always pronounced it Marcuse. Yeah, me too. And, and that's the only way I've ever heard it. I think he, again, just doesn't know anything about these people. If it's German, also, it might uh, be Marcuse, though, like genuinely. It could be. be, who gives a fuck, he's a German. Also, unsurprisingly, Marcuse taught at several American universities during his career, including Columbia, Harvard, and Brandeis. Okay. I, is Brandeis like, in scare quotes? Like, not scare quotes, but like I feel like Brandeis is in there to be like, yeah, Brandeis. I feel like Brandeis <laughs> is like has, maybe has a reputation. I he don't know. Need, he, well, he needed a rule of threes there. Yeah, he needed a, he needed a list of. But also, he never can do a list without an et cetera at the end. Mm -hmm. We know that about Mark Levin. So, but uh, so this part of the chapter starts off, and I will apologize because when we did the first half of the chapter, I said that he was going to start with the Frankfurt School stuff this half of the chapter, and that was my expectation. Because he starts talking about Marcuse immediately. He starts talking about Marcuse. Uh, but I then, after reading the second half of this chapter, realized he doesn't start that until the next chapter. But we do get a bunch of bullshit I am, about Marcuse. I, I was chapter. really shocked that he didn't go into Marcuse, like Mark's use, Mark's use, <laughs> get it? He, you know he what? Almost that does. would he be really nearly more does. intellectual. <laughs> the The criticism of wordplay would be more intellectual than some of the arguments yeah. he's trying to make in this chapter. But he says here, quote, As we will later see, his influence extends well beyond the new left to modern-day critical theory movements, which actively seek to undermine and ultimately supplant American society and culture. Therefore, serious attention must be paid to his writings. And I mean, that's true 
if you think American culture is exclusively white culture mm. to the exclusion of all other cultures, yeah, right? Yeah, and also if you think 99% of people haven't not heard of Marcuse. Sure. Like, yeah, also. Also, yes. I We do this <laughs> for a like pretty serious hobby, and I've barely heard of Marcuse. Like. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think the last time I have ever seriously considered Marcuse is when we had uh, Aaron yeah. from Embrace the Void on, because we had some Marcuse talk in the Ben Shapiro in the, book, I yeah, think. philosophy. Yeah, because all these guys love to, because of course, this is the old cultural Marxism, mm-hmm. that's what they used to use, and I think he uses that phrase in this book, because uh, it is the boogeyman, even though it's an anti-Semitic trope, <laughs> which he should know, uh, but the cultural Marxism, the Frankfurt School, that is all connected uh, that's where all that comes. And I did reach out to Aaron, by the way, um, just to ask him, like, hey, you know, like, how influential actually is the Frankfurt School? Like, beyond how much all these right-wing shitbags harp on it all the time? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because they're trying to make it a bigger thing than he than it is. And he said, uh, yeah, quote from Aaron, <laughs> let's say pretty important. Important enough to not fuck up the name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's good to know. That's yeah, good to know. Good to know. But, uh, you know, anyways, that's that's where we are at this point. Mm. This We're starting off on this whole cultural Marxism stuff. That's what it's really about. I'm here. trying to that's think of, like, is is. some fun equivalents of this. Like, like, what other names could he fuck up? I, you know, I, I do wonder, because there is a lot of stuff in here. I, I don't know if anybody... The thing is, the, with the salon piece, um, and... Another one I read before, I think I mentioned it on a previous chapter, um, nobody really ever paid close enough attention to these books, yeah. right, to, to like, look at all the problems. And people will point out, aha, isn't it funny how they got this super easy, simple fact mm-hmm. wrong? And that's great. And that's what the salon piece was doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I think it was um, the Atlantic piece I mentioned um, where, like, it was the, you know, he actually looked at what's in this fucking book. Mm-hmm. And nobody does that. So there is a possibility that other than, you know, stuff that's easily picked out like that, that there's just a lot of, and we found them. I mean, like in the Glenn Beck book, we noted how often there were just straight up typos and just yeah. issues with that book that a fucking editor should have I'm caught. just, I, like in my head, I'm imagining him, him like calling Plato, Plato, you know, or like, as in <laughs> like, the, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that kind of, or like trying to, trying to talk about the Hippocratic Oath and calling it like the Hippocritical Oath or something like that, you know, like I'm just like desperate for him to get basic things wrong. Well, I mean, we we have seen some of that in this book. Mm-hmm. And again, I know when he brings up the Frankfurt School, I will call it the Franklin okay. School exclusively, just to remind you that he did that. But he continues now, quote, At one point, and this is talking about the Marxist uprising and revolution. At one point, he believed it would be led by the masses. Later, he insisted that the affluence of capitalist society made such a revolution impossible. Hence, he claimed the revolution would emerge from the intellectuals working with the disenfranchised. In any event, Marcuse asserted, this is skipping a sentence, like Marx, that anything short of a full-fledged revolution would fail to dislodge the scourge of capitalism and the dominant culture. So his ideas changed over time? Yeah. Is what you're saying there? Yeah, it's another... Also, no citation to that last no, point there. And it's... Even though there were citations to... Well, at one point, he said it would be led by the masses. And another point... No citation for the part that is the real assertion yeah, in that sentence. Yeah, but also, I mean, probably true. Like, anything short of full-fledged revolution probably doesn't change the dominant culture. That's... That tends to be how these things work. Because you need yeah. to completely... Like, whether it's a Marxist revolution or not, that it tends... To, you tend to require 
a full revolution to completely change the game the game board right like right but also revolution just as a word and as a phrase means something different to these people mm. than it does to mark levin that's true Right, so there's also that red herring of Levin pretending that he understands the nuances of what these people mean, right? That's true. And also, I mean, like, when is a revolution over, right? Like, that's that's another question, because there's always revolution and counter-revolution. Like, is it over when the counter-revolution begins? Like, when the, when yeah. the dust settles? Like, yeah. See, I, like, I, I, I don't consider myself a Marxist. Um, I listen to podcasts by people who consider themselves Marxists. Mm. Uh, there are people who I don't agree with on that level of politics, but I respect because I, I think they have interesting things to say, and I think they're bright people mm -hmm. doing interesting stuff. Um, but I think that those people don't think revolution means the same thing yeah, as Mark Levin, I mean, right? They think it means like a general strike that causes great change in society yeah. and causes the capitalist class to finally concede to some of the points of the, the working yeah. class. I, like I mean, there, there are different types of Marxists as well. Like, even yeah, of course, uh, like, obviously. As historical Marxists who believe that like class anxiety is the major driver of everything that has ever happened versus like oh yeah Marxism. that reminds me for some reason uh someone also noted that in this book he calls historic materialism mm -hmm. uh material historicism oh, i think that's fun <laughs> just a basic marxist concept yep. that he did get completely i really want him we like he's, he's gonna call dialecticism duolingo <laughs> at some point like <laughs> That would be great. I would really, really appreciate that. Also, uh, for no reason whatsoever, I was just reminded now, um, we have a website now. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I finally got it set up. I mean, it's been set up for a couple weeks now, but I've been... And it's not completely done. I'm still working on getting all the episodes put up on there, and that takes time. I try and do a few episodes a day of just, you know, transporting everything over and copy and paste from the show notes. And I'm trying to do more detailed show notes, so you'll see the last episode had much more detailed show that. notes. I was proud of you. Um... And I'm going to do more detailed show notes from now on. There'll be extra stuff linked on the website, which is nygbcpod.com. You can go over there and check out some stuff. I wrote one little article blog post thing there uh, that was uh, fun. Uh, my uh, dishy blog post mm. about Glenn Beck hiring an InfoWars employee and then maybe firing her. I can't tell. Uh, so, yeah, go check out nygbcpod.com. But we continue with this fucking book. Mm. You and I both had problems getting through this one, I, did, I know. Yeah. This was a major ADHD problem. Yeah, read I was trying to read it at my lunch chapter. break today. I was like, ugh. Oh, it's just hard. Yeah. You keep wanting to skip through both. I was like, I, I was ready to go back to work instead of <laughs> reading this fucking book. So there's a big fucking giant page of block quotes, which I don't give a fuck. He's just block quoting Mark Hughes. Mm -hmm. And then he says, quote, The internal contradictions of Marxism and its advocates, like Mark Hughes, are stark. Individual and economic freedom mean forsaking free market capitalism capitalism for collectivism? There's a question. Yeah, it's just there. like, oh, like how how can I read Mark misread Mark Hughes? Let me count the ways. <laughs> like <laughs> The individual is fulfilled and free from want and struggle. Again, question mark. <laughs> the government will eventually wither away? Yeah. Is, uh, uh, is this how Marxism has worked throughout the world or anywhere? And then we get what he's gonna keep going back mm. to which is the same things they always go back to. Of course not. For example, is there a Marxist regime anywhere on Earth that is not a police state? China, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela? The imposition of the Marxist ideology from an abstraction to reality has left tens of millions of suffering and dead human mm. beings in its wake. I'd be interested to hear what he thinks of the US's position as a police state, because... <laughs> uh, but they made him wear a mask on I the know, plane, Benedict. State. Police state. That's absolutely what it is. 
So, Marquis apparently at some point wrote that uh, the New Left had managed to make some strides forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, to with, dead you know, in the 60s. Pushing, yep, pushing back against things in the 60s, and, and uh, he's... You know, Levin's real mad that Mark Hughes pointed out a reality of the world. Yeah. Um, and then he says, quote, In the last several decades... It's just a block quote from Mark Hughes. I'm just trying to summarize with that. In the last several decades, building on Dewey's work and adopting Marxist ideas developed and espoused by the likes of Mark Hughes and others and adapting them for American society and culture, the teaching and promotion of Marxism and Marxist notions in the classroom have been open and pervasive on America's <laughs> college campuses. And then he quotes back to that New York Times article we talked about before, mm-hmm. which is, is great. Lady just said, yeah, there's some Marxists out there. It's everywhere, yeah. Benedict. Some, it's taking over. Some people. Because that lady could list like 10 Marxists. Marxists. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. But he says next, quote, Lest anyone be misled, the issue is not whether Marxist teachings in our classrooms have devolved into a loosely knit collection of theories with little in common, as the Times reported back then which is close to the quote that I thought was more revealing from that Times article, which is the one where the professor's saying, I don't really think they're Marxists, yeah. uh, but uh, not the <laughs> one that I think If this is Marxism, was, uh... then call me a Marxist. Is the, <laughs> yeah, that right, was basically what right. they said. Thereby making the messages and impact less concerning, but that the tenets of Marxism being used in numerous ways to attack American society and culture on myriad fronts, making these movements much more difficult to confront and challenge. Mm. It is well worth underscoring what Professor Jonathan M. Weiner told the Times. I really expected you to be like, listen to this guy, Weiner. <laughs> Levin does make me want to make fun ways to say people's names yeah. just because that's all he ever has up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. He does make me want to do that. Marxism and feminism. Marxism and deconstruction. Marxism and race. That is where the exciting debates are. That's the quote from the professor. And then he says about that. And diversity is now the signature of once monolithic Marxism. <laughs> Did he? Okay. So that no, he sentence he right there. He doesn't say that. That's still in quotes. There's a quote. There's uh, a, is it? There's a quote within a quote. Oh, yeah, I yeah. see. It was quote within a quote. Yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Okay. But he brought that point but, out because. But it's interesting, isn't it? That he doesn't even. Well, that doesn't, doesn't mean even, what he wants his reader no, to think it but means. but he doesn't even make the leap to being like, and that's intersectionality, folks. Which is right. like, that's what you should be doing if you're going to criticize it. Like, basically, you like you could do the Scooby-Doo thing of like intersectionality, like uh, uncovering intersectionality and having Marxism underneath. Like, Well, but I think that's what he tried there yeah, by just, just having the word it. diversity. Diversity and Marxism it. next to each yeah, other. He didn't reference it. That's what he was going for, and he just want, he knows he knows his reader. The the five out of mil, a million people who bought this book who are actually going to read it, he knows are going to see that and go diversity Marxism same thing. Mm-hmm. This is why I should hate Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Same thing. That's exactly what it is. And then we get a paragraph uh, that I just wrote in the margins. Commies everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Because. That, that's all that paragraph is. I don't need to read it anymore. Oh, it says there. Marxism's tentacles have reached deeply into American society, which gives you the yep. thrust of the paragraph. Commies everywhere. And he continues, it is academia. Also, can I please, and- can I please just point out where he says, at its core, however, Marxism is named for the man and the ideology he propounded <laughs> at great length in numerous writings. Like, thanks for writing that sentence, Mark. That was really helpful. We, we know that. Marx, Mark- Marxism <laughs> is named after a dude named Marx who wrote, th- wrote some things sometimes. Like, yeah, thank you. I would think it would be obvious, yeah. but, you know, with this guy... 
Continuing, it is academia and its rule over the education of generations of students that serves as the most potent force for Marxist indoctrination and advocacy, and the most powerful impetus for its acceptance and spread. Oh, this leads into my favorite, not my favorite bit, but one of my one of my highlights oh, good of the chapter, yeah. where he's like, "Well, this guy talks about millennialists, and he acknowledges that he <laughs> yeah, doesn't okay. he doesn't really mean what I mean when I want him to mean." Benedict. I blew a fucking I'm gasket. Sure you did. I blew a fucking gasket he was like, over what we're about to talk about. That's millennials. It's close enough. It sounds the no, same. No, no. And Ben, you and I, we started out sort of in the same, you know, new atheist uh-huh. movement, movement atheism stuff. We know what that's really mm-hmm. about. We'll get to it in a second mm-hmm. after I read the quote. All right. Yeah. So he brings up this guy named Professor Richard Landis of Boston University. Uh, and Landis, if you look into him, uh, kind of a dick, mm-hmm. kind of just a dick. from his quotes. Yeah, he's a right-wing douchebag uh, who doesn't seem to be very influential at Sorry, all. a right-wing um, person teaching at Boston yeah, University? Yeah, I know. Isn't that right? That he did briefly teach at Boston University. Mm. Uh, but he wrote a, uh, I don't know if it's a book or if it's an article, titled Celebrating Ort- Orientalism. Ooh. Where he argues that Edward Said and uh, other people who criticized Orientalism just don't like it because of honor-shame culture. Oh, so not celebrating Edward Said's book, Orientalism. No, 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 but no. But celebrating... No, 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 no. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> Isn't that horrifying? Yes. He also basically spends his time... Uh, he came up with the term Pallywood, mm. uh, or uh, what he claimed, the conspiracy theory that Palestinians just create fake uh, atrocities to show oh. the media and that the Western media is working with Palestinians. I didn't know that create... was a thing. That's disgusting. Yeah, no, he's the guy who came up with that term. That's what he does these days. That sucks. Uh, so this guy kind of fucking sucks. Yeah. But the brief bit of real scholarship he ever did was about medieval millennialism. Mm. Benedict. And uh, millennialism, if you're unaware, is the idea that there will be a brief period of a thousand years Mm -hmm. of peace and glory before the apocalypse. That is what millennialism Mm -hmm. is. And because this guy is a right-wing douchebag, uh, once he was done with actual scholarship, he wrote this book, Heaven on Earth, in which he tried to extend that to secular movements and say, well, they're actually really just millennialists too, Mm -hmm. and make improper analogies to try and do criticism that's that's but then mark levin squints at it and sees it has the word levin squints and does exactly what he did previously with putting diversity next to marxism and knowing how his reader will take it and he says of it quote in his 2011 book, Heaven on Earth, Professor, Professor Richard Landis of Boston University explains, among other things, the emotional, intellectual, religious, and spiritual drive of millennials. millennialists. Millennialists. Note the yes. term, millennialists. Millennialists. While he intends for the word millennialist to mean more than what I address here, it is very helpful in describing the mindset and motivations of younger mm-hmm. people, especially college and university students, <laughs> drawn to Marxism and revolutionary <laughs> movements. As I highlight some of his writing, keep in mind that his use of the word millennialist is intended to incorporate millennials of a of sort. A kind, yeah. <laughs> But for my analytical purposes here, if you prefer, substitute the word millennialist with millennial. <laughs> Look, he said one thing, and I know that I mean a completely different thing. <laughs> but it kind of, if you squint, 
You can see it makes the same point. No, 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 Benedict. Because he goes out of his way there to never explain to the reader oh, what Landis meant by millennialist. Because even Landis, in his bullshit of trying, basically, he was arguing like, uh, you could argue that um, you know communist movements in the middle of the 20th century were millennialist of a sort. That was Landis's argument. He's now taking that and going, yeah, it just means millennials. It just means your fucking kids that you're angry at because they voted Democrat in the last people. election. Millennialists, young yeah. people. That's all it means. That is what? such what? No, don't, don't. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It just means it means young people. That's what he meant. That's what I meant. That's what we all mean. Don't worry. It's fine. It pissed me off it's so, so much. What a fucking blatant attempt of bullshitting that is. Also, that's just such a long way of going, this isn't what he meant, but I'm going to say it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but we have to do it. It's kind of our fucking jobs. I mean, I pulled up uh, the Google uh, Books, you know, summary of the book, and like, yeah, he, he like even tries to make the argument that UFO cults could be considered millennialists. Yeah, so I it's think just, there's probably just inventing faith where you have none. That's what he means sure. by it. Like finding something yeah. to believe in is the thing. It's just and I will I will link uh, to all this sort of stuff in the show notes. So you'll be able to go and check it out if you want. But again, we have a bunch of gigantic block quotes from Landis because Levin uh, did not write eighty five thousand words. No. <laughs> he copy pasted about eighty thousand. <laughs> And then after that gigantic block quote where he never explains what millennialism actually Mm -hmm. means and tries to imply that it's millennials, says, quote, Thus, for its preachers and followers, there is a theological-like aspect to Marxism, a promised fundamental transformation of society and the purification of man's nature through a rebirth of society, replaced with a collective salvation found in communal egalitarianism. Okay, so here's the thing. To me... You could make that argument without weirdly trying to squish Landis's yeah. shit. Yeah, no, you could. You, you could. You could be like, they have a faith in something. It's replaced religion as a movement. There's yeah. probably a bunch. I know there's a bunch of scholarship that would argue that. Benedict, Benedict, Mark Levin wrote a previous book <laughs> arguing that. It's called Ameritopia, and he tells us about it every chance he gets. Look at your own bibliography from your last <laughs> book, dude. Like, if you don't want to cite yourself... It just, it no, just, that was the point of that book. It's all about fucking uh, utopians. That's what they it, all are. That was that shit. It smacks of like being vaguely aware of the arguments in your field, but not doing mm-hmm. enough research to know who actually said what. Yeah, which is what this chapter nope. is really about. But he continues, and he says, quote, Of course, we saw this play out during the summer of 2020, with widespread violent riots initiated and organized by Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and other Marxist-oriented groups, among others. We also saw acceptance and support for BLM spread throughout the culture, Mm -hmm. including in Democratic Party, corporations, professional sports, and newsrooms, to name a few. I just wanted to point out... <laughs> he got tired of yeah. typing, etc., and he had to he had to use a different word. And there. so but on yeah, and so, so forth. BLM, Antifa—they're they're Marxist. Uh-huh. We know yeah, they're yeah. Marxist uh, uh, because, of course, forget the fact that there are uh, a wide variety of actual political beliefs. I think it stands for Black Lives Marxists, right? That's the yeah, exactly. That's what it is. That's what it is. Uh, forget that uh, anarchists exist yep. um, who are not Marxists because those are two vastly different ideologies. Mm-hmm. Um, for, forget uh, all of reality and nuance, and and I guess what he said there is still racist horseshit, which is just calling Black Lives Matter uh, protests uh, riots. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's that's what we got there. But he continues, quote, moreover. 
The revolutionary is intolerant of differing beliefs or ideas, of intellectual challenges okay, or opposition. Pause. What is this book about if not being intolerant <laughs> of other beliefs? Like <laughs> you cut my point. Sorry. That's basically what I had written in the Sorry. margin for that one. Sorry. But we keep coming back to that, right? I mean, throughout this book, we've been like, no, M Mark, Mark, you're talking about you. Yeah. You're, you're talking about you guys, right? <laughs> How many times have we stumbled across that? Yeah. No, you're just talking about what you guys yeah. do. Con uh, skipping down a little ways. Oh, can but I read this? The, the, is, we, is this sure. a Latin bit? Are you going to do that? Uh, we're, yes, yes, okay. yes. We're, we're just about so to So yes. basically, the, the, the premise of this next bit is that like it's all education's fault that we're churning out so oh, many yeah. Marxists. Let, so. let me read that okay, quote first. Where he says, quote, Consequently, it is unsurprising that the world's most renowned and notorious Marxist revolutionaries were greatly influenced by their college experiences and studies. And, and to furnish this example, he says, For example... <laughs> The biography of Russia's Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, a.k.a. V.I. Lenin, yeah, Benedict. V.I. Lenin. A.k.a. Lenin. <laughs> includes that he, and quotes, was born into a well-educated family. He excelled at school and went on to study law. At university, he was exposed to radical thinking, and his views were also influenced by the execution of his elder brother, a member of a revolutionary group. <laughs> we'll never know which one caused the Marxism. Like... Why did he leave that part yeah, in? Just... He did multiple ellipses throughout That's that true, block yeah. quote, which, by the way, that block quote is from the BBC biography yeah, of, of Lenin. But it's just like, which one influenced him more, studying at university or having his brother murdered by the state? I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. How will we ever know? Who could possibly know? And then he does the same thing. He said, Mao from China. He went to college. Also, huh? the, the fact that he's huh? like, also, uh, Lenin got expelled from university because he was so radical. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Right? But better, it's better. The last one is the last one. Because he says, Cambodia's Pol Pot came from a relatively prosperous family and was educated in a series of French-speaking yeah, no schools. Shit. It was a French colony at the time, dickhead. But Benedict, if you send your kid to college, they're going to become Pol Pot. Yeah, Don't you right. know this? Also, like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that the entirety of America's elite didn't go to college. Like, <laughs> Mark, where the fuck did you go? Yeah. Why did he go, actually? You went to law school. I know you went to college, buddy. Where did he go? You can't you hide know? that. You can't hide that. But then he says, after all that block quoting of BBC biography, biographies of these people, quote. Oh, he went to Temple. That's fun. Yeah, we talked about yeah. that when we went through yeah, our yeah, biography yeah, yeah. of no, Mark Levin. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I forgot. What occurs in our colleges and universities is largely ignored or abided by most Americans, including parents who often subsidize their child's attendance at these schools, and taxpayers who subsidize these institutions to the tune of tens of billions of dollars every year. This is a grave failure of accountability and responsibility, even a multi-generational debacle. Mm. It is necessary, therefore, to undertake a brief, albeit incomplete, review of Marxist and Marxist-related influences occurring today in higher education. So even he's admitting, ah, I can't be thorough. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? You had unlimited pages. The publisher was not... Anything you sell, they know his entire fucking audience is going to buy and stick on their goddamn bookshelf and never fucking crack the cover on. They could have put as many pages Literally in here as he wanted. Yeah. It didn't have to be brief. You could have written, hey, maybe an entire chapter on it if you wanted to. God, 
just it also sort of like it pisses me off that that's the same exact thing that William F. Buckley did. Where he's just like, eh, we're gonna be brief. Can't ah, can't talk about everything because yeah. because I lazy. I didn't bother to do the actual to, research. Yeah. You know, you know. So he starts off here, and the first person he's going to be talking about is uh, this Gene Anion. This is going to be mm-hmm. who he's going to start with, uh, and uh, this is a woman who taught at. Um, the City University of New York, which uh, uh, is near where you live. I don't know. You're in New York City. Yeah. It's all the same. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, they, they love to hit, hit these universities as much as they can. And Jean Anion was, to be fair, legitimately a Marxist. She called herself, she was a self-described Marxist. Yeah. Uh, she passed away, I think, in 2013-ish. Uh, but she described herself as a Marxist. So it is entirely fair to describe her as such. Mm-hmm. And he says about her, quote, While unknown to most outside academia and one of many professors who use their classrooms to promote Marxist or Marxist-related indoctrination, her influence in higher education is well-established and lingers to this day. But, I mean, it's like, just call it indoctrination, and I guess it automatically is so, Mm -hmm. because you called it that? Yep. She just means teaching, man. She just means teaching. But I looked into Jean Anion. Uh, who is actually a very interesting person. Okay. Uh, she was uh, she studied like the the uh, sociology of education. That's mm-hmm. what she was studying. And beyond like a lot of her work that's lasted throughout time goes beyond like any of her Marxist writings, mm-hmm. even though, as I said, she was a Marxist. Like yeah. uh, one of the articles that I pulled up that she wrote is called Social Class and the Hidden Curriculum of Work. Definitely a Marxist influence there, right? You could you can see it in the title. Mm-hmm. Social Class and the Hidden Curriculum of Work. But as it turns out, it's a very interesting study that she did by going to five different schools and studying the way that they assigned work in the classroom. And these different schools that she went to were all with students of different social class, economic status, etc. And she saw marked differences Mm -hmm. in the way that work was assigned to these different students. Uh, And that's very interesting. Very fucking interesting. interesting. Mark Levin, in the many block quotes he's going to give us of Gene Anion, doesn't give a shit about any of the work she actually did. All he does is take what I have to assume was like the preamble explaining basic concepts of Marxism before she actually started talking about what her article was about. Like, that much is fucking obvious, is it not? Ah, just... It just pissed me off that you can get away with this. Yeah, I mean, I, Kevin, lots of people write bad books. I, uh, this is bad in a unique way, though, because it, it the, the level of block quotes is unique, I think, to compared to other books. If it is, I mean, because it has a veneer of academicism, right? Mm-hmm. It's like... It pretends to be accurate. That's why there are so many footnotes in this in this book. Mm-hmm. It's so that you know nobody's going to actually who reads this book and likes Mark is going to go check any of nope. those. They are there so that the person reading it can feel as though this is actually uh, a work of of with some academic. Yeah, th- this isn't that's the this point. isn't a book that's going to be cited by other people, right? That's the that's the point. Like no one's citing yeah. American Marx. Oh yeah, God, absolutely not. Never. No one. Why, if you cited this, you should you should be laughed out of whatever there's, you're doing. There's whether nary, it's academia or anywhere. Nary, like, nary an original thought in this book. No, no, absolutely. It, this is like citing this book would be like citing to Wikipedia. Yeah. That's what this movie would be like. Except this is uh, full of much Wikipedia more lies is than Wikipedia. Much more like well edited than this. <laughs> yes, Wikipedia never called it the Franklin yeah. School. <laughs> but so 
basically, like I said, he has a bunch of big block quotes in here from Gene Anion, which are, like I said, just basic explication of Marxist theory and, and class, uh, class, class analysis. Dialectics. Like, that's it. Yeah. Like, here's one. Like, uh, the extra money from selling the product or providing the service is the profit that is kept by the capitalist. Mm -hmm. It is important to note, while the profit margin of small businesses is often relatively small, large corporations and the shareholders, executives, and managers of these businesses typically enjoy huge profits that dwarf the wages and salaries of employees. Correct. Dot, dot, dot. This profoundly unequal relationship between workers and employees and owners is at the base of the system and, for Marx, is fundamental to its definition. That's just an explanation so you think he of thought reading basic Marx Marxism. was too hard? Like, because that's all in Marx. Uh, yeah, like, maybe. Like, that that's the thing is, like, there's nothing from that. And I, I looked, like I said, I looked at some of the things he's citing here, and the things that he's citing that she was writing have nothing to do with basic Marxism. They're about, you know, education and yeah. shit. So that's like, that's all, like I said, that's all preamble that he's citing as like the most, and he says, he responds to that. Yeah, some of his, he responds some of his to that. Some of his are very funny. They're insane. Yeah. Like here he says, quote, Obviously, this theory rejects, among other things, all evidence of economic and social mobility that exists in capitalist societies, and especially the United States. The rags-to-riches and riches-to-rags stories are infinite. Well, why didn't you name any of them, Mark? Yeah, also, it doesn't... Not one it, in this entire it, chapter. It doesn't reject that at all. <laughs> it's just putting together a framework for, like... Yours are the exceptions that prove the rule, not the not the other way around. Right, right. Because, and I would I would point out, like you said, it is the exception that proves the rule. As it turns out, social mobility is actually mostly a myth. It's fairly in the United rare. States. It's fairly rare. It is fairly rare. Uh, I found a good amount of research that's come out in recent years. I mean, it's, there's been research on this for decades, but uh, some of the most recent stuff I found. One came out in 2018. Uh, this is a study by a sociologist at New York University who looked at data from 1994 to 2016 um, from people who participated in what is called the General Social Survey. There are about 20,000 people. Um, and they took all of these people's professions and they put them on a socionomic index, right? So like a doctor would be a, like a 93 on this scale of 1 to 100. Uh, a flight attendant would be a 53. And then a shoe shiner would be a 9. Mm -hmm. Those are the examples that are put out. Um, and so they looked at this, and they looked at the, the, the professions of parents of people, and then they looked at where these people themselves ended up when they got older. That's why they took this data that spanned that good number of years, so they could see, you know, over time where people ended up. And as it turned out, um, you're much less likely to end up, if you, if you started in the uh, lower 20% of the scale, you are incredibly unlikely to end up in the top 20%. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, I believe it's 1 in 13. Uh, people who start out in the lower spectrum, the tw lower 20%, who actually end up eventually in the top 20%. Mm -hmm. And that is, Benedict, you might be unsurprised to learn, lower than in countries in Scandinavia yeah, that he would scream are socialist and would be very angry about. Those, uh, it's about one in eight, which is still not great. It's not great social mobility, but it's better than one in 13. Yeah. Right? Yeah, uh, the new, I so, remember the New York Times did a good interactive graph on this of like people who mm -hmm. grew up rich versus grew up poor. And I think it was done along race lines um, or, or like. Oh, yeah. For, for uh, I didn't I didn't mention this part of it, but for black kids, it was one in 40 yeah. who start out in the lower 20 that end up in the top because 20. Because America that's, is That's fucking insane. Loves, that's loves insane. to keep, keep people down. 
Yeah. So when he says there that especially in America there's social mobility, um, then why is social mobility higher in Britain, France, Italy, and Sweden, countries that he would scream are socialists? Mm -hmm. That mm, doesn't make sense. But that's what he's arguing here. So he continues on. He's still talking about Anion. And again, he's just block quoting her and sarcastically responding. And he says, quote, Anion, like all Marxists, exploits the fact of human inequality, which exists for myriad reasons, many having nothing to do with economic oppression or dislocation, yeah, name, historic discrimination, name them. Name them. or injustice. Name them. <laughs> right, right. Name one of their albums, asshole. Yeah, literally one of them. But okay, he's really arguing there. That much, I don't, did he say most or much? I don't remember. Many, many, that's a bullshit word. Stake out a position, Mark. Many, fuck you. That have nothing to do with economic oppression, dislocation, discrimination, or injustice. But, as he says, the nature and consequences of individual conduct, motivation, work ethic, luck, good or bad, luck there. Luck is the one he's including there. As though that doesn't have to do with those factors he said aren't factors in this. Moral luck. And then he ends his list with et cetera. Yeah, of course he does. Why wouldn't he? He's incapable of not ending a list with et cetera. It just, I'm never not going to notice that. It's never not going to stick out to me. (laughs) But then he questions, I mean, what even is economic equality, man? And also he's like, how do we define, like, who's the bourgeoisie and who's the worker when someone owns a small business? Yes. Like, oh, and, and man, like if you're a worker and you uh, got a Robinhood account and they gave you that fractional share of the company then that you work for. Congratulations, you're the bourgeoisie you, now, aren't baby. You, <laughs> aren't you technically an owner? Yeah. Which is formalist bullshit, yeah, right? Is. It is the focus on uh, form over function, yeah. form over reality. Also, like, when it's, it's we, very simple. Like, do, do, does most of your income come from a salary? Congratulations, you're a worker. Like that. Yeah, yeah it's very simple. It's it's pretty simple, yeah. as a matter of fact. And if he had actually any uh, background in understanding Marxist thought, he would know that there's a great deal of scholarship on that <laughs> really, subject. Yeah, we've talked about e- that even a outside lot. of yeah. Marxist yeah. thought, yeah. just yeah. in like basic progressive economic thought. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of discussion on that topic, mm-hmm. but. He doesn't actually know any of this because he hasn't actually read any of these people's work. He has skimmed for the pieces he needs to make the argument he wanted to make before he even Mm. read any of the work to begin with. That's what it is. And he goes back to his old thing of, well, it's better than China and Venezuela. (laughs) That's what he, he actually, and he has some points that are just completely incorrect about China. He says, quote, Chinese citizens are not free to change jobs. They are... Uh, They're assigned social credits based on their strict compliance with governmental dictates. They must worship China's brutal dictator, Xi Jinping, as a supreme leader. Okay, um, yes, Chinese people can change jobs. Mm. Like, that's that's very much a thing. Uh, The social credit score, we're used to Republicans screaming about that. We hear it all the time. Um, And they don't worship Xi Jinping. No. He is, like... A very important figure, and he is, you know, he's he's a dictator. He's definitely a dictator, mm-hmm. and he is, uh, but he's not worshipped like he thinks. He thinks it's the same as North Korea, is what he's putting yeah. in there, and it's very much not exactly the same as North Korea. Yeah. But that's that's the what he wants to put out there. He also uh, doesn't recognize that uh, China is a capitalist client state, no. which is. <laughs> Right? Like, they wouldn't have this system if it wasn't for the capitalist states that fed into it. Mm -hmm. That would be, it would be very different. 
But now he goes to another guy, Raymond Aaron, uh, who I really don't care about all that much. I looked into him, and he's not particularly interesting. I mean, he had some, he had some stuff to say. I mean, he was he was a uh, he was like a radical centrist. Is how I'll <laughs> describe him. Boring. Yeah, like the the patron saint of radical centrism. Amazing. If you had to pick Great. anyone, is this Raymond Aaron guy who he's going on about here? And so this guy, you know, wrote some criticism of uh, of communists and of revolutionaries. And great. So now he's quoting from that. He uses that to criticize uh, Gene Anion. And then he goes back to block quoting massive sections of Gene Anion again because all he has are fucking massive block quotes yeah, of these. He people. does block quote Marx and Engels. One of these chapters, I am going to count like. Maybe I'll just measure with a ruler, page space, rather than counting words. How much is block quotes versus how much is original language? And I guarantee you the block quotes will outweigh the original language. 100%. There's no way he has actually written more than any of that. But again, the portions that he's block quoting from Gene Anion are that sort of fucking preamble, yeah, explanatory he's language. Marks and Engels. I thought he was, but yeah. he is. Yeah, no, he's he's literally yeah. quoting her, quoting Marx yeah. and Engels. It's, it's like, what is your point? Is his entire point just that she quoted Marx and Engels? So, so be she's scared. A Marxist? Yeah. Well, yeah, but she called herself a Marxist. You could have just said she calls herself a Marxist and been done with mm-hmm. it. We would have known that she generally agrees with the precepts of Marx and, Eng- Marx and Engels. Mm-hmm. Even though I will point out that throughout her career, she did, you know contribute to the work of Marxist scholarship by developing ideas in ways that were different than what Marx believed at the time that he was writing about mm-hmm. them. So we, she doesn't just take everything that Marx... That's not how scholarship works, right? That's not how ideas work. They develop over time. Mm-hmm. It's just... It just drives me fucking nuts. And then he gets into union bashing, which is always wonderful. And I will point out at this point that this guy, being Mark Levin has never had a real fucking job. And I get to say that. Go back and listen to my backstory if you want to hear about why I no, get to say also, that. No, but like it, his argument against unions is that he thinks they're obsolete, right? But then like you know mm-hmm. that if people were like, hey, we would like to be in a union, he'd be like, no, you fucking don't. Well, it's not so much that his argument against unions is that they're obsolete. His, arguments, his argument as to why union membership has declined mm is that they are obsolete and that people don't like them and want them. And that's just complete horseshit. But people do want them Um, very famously right now. People are very, 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 very... There's actually been a lot of great scholarship out there about why union membership has declined. Yeah, Uh, there's an article I will link. That's why. Yep, I will link an article in the show notes from the Economic Policy Institute. It's one that I found that explains the erosion of private sector unions uh, and explains basically um, fucking Taft-Hartley and... Mm companies uh, finally taking unions to the mat and using what was given to them in the Taft-Hartley Act, which we talked about. Uh, and bullshit right, right, to, right to work laws. like Right. That's exactly what it is. It's that kind of stuff. <sighs> um, and it, it's very much, it's not because people don't want unions. It's because companies don't, don't want, want unions. To be union. <laughs> that yeah. union membership has declined. Yeah. I mean, They that's, make it very difficult for them, yeah. their employees to join unions. Yep. Yep, that's very much been the case. I mean, it's basically like 1960s, 1970s. That's like when the the downturn started to happen. Yeah, and, and funny that enough, was... that's when wages stopped fucking matching productivity. So, mm-hmm. yep, yep, that's what started happening there. But uh, yeah, he he has some bullshit to say about that. I don't. I'm just gonna reject it out of hand because he's just basically saying, ah, people don't want them. 
Unions are bad. Yeah. They're bad for the company. They're bad for the worker, and they don't want it. And then but he says, do, quote, and you should allow them to join them. <laughs> well, but then he says this bullshit line, quote, too often the union becomes more of a voice for the state than the members it claims to represent, as witnessed in many totalitarian regimes. Like, you know how unions become the government? Yes, that's right. I, you know how that happens? That's always weird. But, uh... Then he pushes back on the idea that classes exist, which um, you're not going to have an easy time arguing that one if you live in this existence, this plane yep. of existence, and, and see the way things work. But basically he says that because we don't have the Indian system of castes, mm -hmm. class isn't real. Yep. That, you know, I get <laughs> it. Is... That's fine. Yeah. And then he repeats his line about social mobility. Mm -hmm. Just says it again. Like, yeah, there's... Mo mobility up and down the social chain. The examples are infinite, and still doesn't give any of those infinite number of examples. Yeah, he, does he? Also, like the other thing is like th this bit of the chapter is just him being like, here's something that Marx said in 1850 <laughs> that doesn't correspond to the modern world. Isn't he an idiot? Like, no, you're just like obviously the things that he said in 1850. The world has changed slightly. Yeah, yeah, it has. I was, and I then was talking about when he's talking about teachers and how teachers come from the like the most educated in society, which was true in the middle of the 19th century because most people didn't have an education. So to be a teacher, you had to be a certain level of educated. But then... That's yeah, now, and he's also... I mean, you know. Well, he starts pushing back on the idea that uh, there is a system to the way that education works that inculcates certain values... And that because we live in the United States, those are the values of capitalism, mm -hmm. because that's the way it is. That That is reality. And his pushback on that is, like you said, well, teachers all went to college and they're a bunch of Marxists, so that can't be true. Like, yep. okay, cool. man, you're, you're fucking shit. This is like the most simple-minded analysis possible. I mean, he really says... Teachers and students in our primary and secondary schools of all backgrounds and economic conditions. They're not mouthpieces or figureheads for the wealthy, whoever they may be. Indeed, the ruling class in our public schools consists mostly of teachers who are overwhelmingly progressive and teachers' unions that are the bulwark for American Marxism. Yeah, teachers' unions. That's where American Marxism is. Jesus Christ. It's just boring and lazy yep. and incredibly dumb. Mm -hmm. I just... I'm flabbergasted at how lazy it is. That's the most revealing thing I've gotten from this chapter is the amount of laziness because he has done a lot of work to make this appear to be so much more rigorous than it mm -hmm. is. I can't overstate that enough, that that was the number one purpose, the number one pursuit he went after was make this appear to be rigorous research when in fact it is like I could I could write this fucking book in a week and a half. Yep. I could... I, I could mad lib this book out yeah, in a week yeah, and a half. Yeah, yeah. It would be that fucking easy. Yeah, I think le less I'm, so than than the the Glenn Beck books, but more you know because oh, you, I mean the Glenn Beck books at least had some graphic design going on, right? We loved those yeah, fucking but diagrams. That was very much the hits, like the like this at least has some like at least he's found some academic research to put in. Like sure, sure, sure. Um, and he also like. He goes on now to talk about uh, the, the way that the, the Marxists are controlling the language. Mm. They're changing our language, and that's how they're doing it. And they're, they're getting the students involved. And it's not enough just to teach Marxism, right? They have to enlist the students in the revolution. That's part of the goal. Uh -huh. And apparently part of the way they're doing this is by using the word reimagine, mm. 
which he describes Anyan. <laughs> he says Anyan have introduced, Anyan and others have introduced the word reimagine into the Marxist before, lexicon. Nobody had ever used this word before Anyan. Nobody. And his example of how this, how this works, how this is now part of the Marxist lexicon, is an out-of-context quote from no one. He just has it in quotes for no reason. For example, quote, it is time to reimagine law enforcement. Great. Unquote. Unquote. That's it. That's all yep, we get. Awesome. That, that, that's it. That, that's how reimagine is now part of Marxism. Mm-hmm. Part of Marxism, yep, Benedict. Yep, we, we did a Marx. That's fine. We did a Marxism. And by the way, at this point, I realized he has still, despite saying it numerous times that all of these people want revolution, he has not provided a single quote of any of these people actually calling for revolution. Mm-hmm. Every time he says well, that these people want revolution... they're reimagining revolution by calling it reimagining. <laughs> Every time he says these people want revolution, he is not citing. There is no footnote. There's no little number at the end of that sentence. It's the next sentence where he says they want revolution, and there's no little number. There's no citation. Yep. There's no quote. That's because it's his interpretation. It is very much his interpretation of what they're saying. And what they're saying is, oh, we need to do education differently. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we need to change the way we do policing because it's oppressing black and brown people. He's interpreting that as violent revolution Mm -hmm. in the streets. That's what he's interpreting it as. And then, uh, you know, we get back to uh, Anion. She's she's just so influential. She did did, uh, did reimagining Marx, reimagining economic change. And institutions, that's a quote from Anion, so we know more of this reimagining mm-hmm. stuff. And I got very bored at this point. Yeah. And I did do a little doodle. I did a Marx doodle in the... And I'm not good at doodling, but this one I'm sort of proud of, okay. my little Marx doodle in the, can, in the margin here. Can you here. hold it up to the screen so I can see it? No, I can't. Uh, <laughs> we're at an hour and ten minutes yep. and we need to move on. Uh, but uh, we get uh, a good quote here. Or he's, again, this is a block quote from Anion that he is mad about, which is, quote, By giving students direct experience with social justice work, we can educate them to appreciate and value those forms of democratic process that are aimed specifically at creating a more equitable society. Public contention towards progressive social change. Which, to him... How dare we? Is, well, he says of that, Thus, the agenda for the Marxist faculty member is clear. To create an army of anti-American youth who will do the bidding of the Marxist faculty as they emerge from academia and enter the workplace. Mm. So, more equitable society equals anti-American. That's true. Participation in the democratic process equals Marxist revolution. That's it. You got it. Easy. Just really, really done with this douchebag. But we get to almost the final part of the chapter, and here he finally pulled out something again that I could go dig into and figure out where his bullshit came from. And he is quoting from uh, a guy named John M. Ellis, who is a UC Santa Cruz. Um, uh, and this is the thing. Here's the weird thing. For some reason, he is quieting Ellis, citing a survey done by two other people mm. in 2006. And this book that he's citing from Ellis came out in 2020. Why would he do that? Well, probably because he doesn't want anybody to go look at the actual survey done by Neil Gross and Solon Simmons, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a survey of faculty from uh, 927 different uh, colleges and universities. Uh, And they were looking at what the breakdown of people's various, you know, ideologies were as far as faculty go. Um, And this is one of those things that conservatives love to point out, which is that generally college faculty lean to the left. Isn't that radical? Ah, ah, evil. 
must be because uh, they don't want conservatives to be taught. It has uh, nothing to do with uh, learning more and, 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 and studying, uh, leading you to, to, to the left, because reality leans to the left. Couldn't be that. Couldn't be that at all. Must be that they're not allowing conservatives in. And what this is, and what he says about it, is, quote, the faculty in their sample were 9% conservative. Mm. 9% Benedict. Though only mildly so on average, he says. While 80% were solidly left, with well over half of those being extreme left. And uh, that's just a bald-faced fucking yeah. lie. Cause Benedict, I have the survey Great. pulled up right Love here that. in front Love of me. That you have more diversity to this than I am. With the results, and would you be surprised to find out that, as a matter no, of fact... I would not be surprised to find out anything. Yeah. Uh, while most did identify as liberal, uh, only 9.4% identified as extremely liberal. Okay, so where liberal. did he get this from, then? He's a fucking oh, liar, cool. is where he got awesome. it from. Did, did you uh, did you, you not realize that no, that I would, did. Would, would be the case? Maybe because, Benedict, and I would say, uh, the, the different answers that they could give on this uh, poll were extremely liberal, liberal, slightly liberal, middle of the road, slightly conservative, conservative, or very conservative. Mm. Uh, and you might also note that 10.5% said they were slightly conservative, and he didn't consider those at all no. among his number of okay, who was conservative. Okay. Because 8% said conservative, 1.2% said very conservative, and he gave us the number of 9% as the conservatives. So he disregarded that 10% of slightly conservative entirely. Uh, if I had to guess, he would say that the liberal, the ones who called themselves liberal, well, they're actually extremely liberal. Because they just don't know what they really are on the political spectrum. That would be how he got to his number of right. uh, they just, bullshit. They just because don't understand how liberal they are. Thirty-four point seven percent called themselves liberal. Nine point four percent called themselves extremely liberal. Eighteen point one percent said they were slightly liberal. Put that together, and you see, I think, how he came out with his bullshit mm-hmm. there. And then he's quoting from Ellis, uh, who's just a horseshit. Uh, He's just writing horseshit. Ellis said, quote, Astonishing, astonishing as this statistic is, writes Ellis, it is almost certainly under... I'm, I'm, it's been a long episode yep. and I am saying things wrong now. It almost certainly understates the matter. The word Marxist does not play at all well with the general public. And many whose mental framework has been largely formed by Marx's ideas prefer to describe themselves as socialist, progressives, or simply activists. We can assume, therefore, that the real number of people motivated by Marxist ideas among social science professors is higher, anything up to double the Gross and Simmons number, but certainly a good deal more than one in five. So, cool. just bullshitting your way into that. And why double? Why double? Why not? Because double sounds scary. Does. Didn't provide any reason for double there, did nope. he? No, just double. We can just assume that it's double. I'm bored of this now. Because double Let's sounds Let's wrap scary. it up. Why don't I read the final paragraph of the chapter then, Benedict, which is, quote, Ellis declares that, quote, it is safe to say that the self-identified Marxists are no more than a tiny fraction of the general public of the United States, which means that there is a huge discrepancy between this very small group in the population and the very large one found among social science professors. This helps explain why the Democratic Party generally, and Senator Bernie Sanders in Mm, particular, push for free college and the cancellation of student loans. The more young people who are processed through America's colleges and universities, the greater the chance for their revolution. End 
of chapter three. And I will say there, Bent, he is right, that there probably are more people who identify as Marxists uh, among the general population or among uh, colleges than there are among the general population. But there are probably also uh, more people who identify as chefs yeah. uh, among professional kitchens than there are among uh, the kitchen in your home. Yeah. There probably is such a thing yeah. because if you just I, I don't do, think I about do think that like, that like, definitely wasn't always true. Though. Like I would say that like, like America oh, yeah, I mean, of the 30s and 40s definitely had more Marxists that, uh, among the general population than it does now, I would say. Yeah, I mean, there was a strong uh, there was a Marxist communist party, element. like a real communist yeah. party. Yeah, that was then you know <laughs> run into the woods yep. by the Red Scare mm-hmm. and uh, the various commissions that were set up to do just that, and the FBI and Hoover and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, um, so that was that was a nuts chapter. I have to say, <laughs> that chapter was wild. And again, I'll say, I think more than anything else, what we learned from that chapter is how little effort he actually put into this book. Mm-hmm. That's what astonished me the most. How little fucking effort went into it. Because we've seen now, that was probably the first like full chapter, I would say. Because chapter two was kind of short and was still sort of introductory, preamble-ish type stuff. That was supposed to be like the first meaty chapter, I feel like. Yeah. And it was a load of horseshit. Mm-hmm. A load of gigantic block quotes and nothing from him. And him just pulling shit out of thin air that he absolutely did not prove by what he had quoted and saying it's true. And that's a little depressing. That's I feel like even Glenn Beck tried harder, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Even Glenn Beck tried harder than that. Man, really, really disappointing. But anyways, thank you all for listening. And uh, we hope, we hope that you enjoyed the show. And remember... If you want more of us, you can go over and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode now. Eh? Eh? Not just $2 an episode, $1 an episode over at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC where you can get access to all of our patron-only bonus content, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hellman, Utah Outcast, Paws, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Charles Trulier, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw! Benjamin Carlisle, <laughs> Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patron. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, Hat Tip! Rumble, cut eight, go. Goodbye. Goodbye. Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.